All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 5. It's where we left off last week. We started, like I said, last week with a very short, it's only going to be three-week sermon series right as we go into camp. And last week we looked specifically at the difference between uh, worldliness and spiritual thinking. Where Paul, in the, ver- in the first uh, four verses of chapter 3 of Colossians, he is talking about setting our minds on things that are above. And we looked at how uh, our minds should look different than how the world would think. So, as a Christian, the things that we are placing our time and our energy in, and even our brain power into, should look different than the things that the world do. And I've been super convicted about this over the last few weeks, because I've, like, the more that I just like live, I guess, the more I see that this is kind of countercultural. that almost everything like in our culture that's being thrown at us is anti-spiritual rather than uh, spiritual. We're not setting our minds on the things above. And in verses one through four, Paul is, he comes with this very basic premise, right? That to set our eyes on the things above, we have to do so because, or, uh, because Christ is our life. So he says in verse 4, says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the whole point from last week, everything we took from last week, is that we set our eyes on the things, of, of things above, not the things of earth, because we get Christ. That's the reward. In the next two sections, as we looked at verse 5 through 11 tonight, and then 12 through 17 next week, we're going to see sort of these two things being broken out. So this first part, the, these earthly things, is to set your minds on above, things above, not on earthly things. We're going to look at the earthly things tonight. Paul's going to sort of break into that, where, where he's kind of give this overview in verses 1 through 4, where now he's going to look at what these earthly things are, and then next week he's going to look at what the, the things that above are. This concept of thinking of the things above kind of puts us in a predicament as Christians because it is a sort of one way, or it's sort of a you pick one side or another. There is no, like, in between. So the example I used last week was that if I wear, like, a Gucci shirt with Old Navy shorts, like, I can't do that. Like, those things are, like, opposed to each other. Like, I could try to do it, but, like, it, I would get called out really fast, or it wouldn't work. Like, whatever value I have in that fit would kind of go out the window because I'm wearing Old Navy shorts. The same goes with worldliness and spirituality. Have you ever seen, this is like a sermon illustration as old as time, but have you ever seen oil and water like together, like in a cup, you like pour it, like what happens? They separate, like they don't go together, they don't mix. So whereas Christians, we might see worldliness as, well, I can just have a little bit of it. Like I can just have a little bit, it's fine. That's not how it's actually supposed to work. It's supposed to be like oil and water. Now if you take something like, like dirt, though, another sermon illustration, like as old as time itself. If you take like dirt and put in a little bit in water, like it ruins everything, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit of it ruins the entire cup of water. That's how we should see worldliness in the Christian life. That even a little bit is too much. But the problem is, as I said last week, the whole premise of this series is that Christians build their houses as, as, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, build their houses partially on the sand, which is the world, this, this foundation of sand, and then partially on the rock, which is the Lord. And we have to build our house entirely on the rock. What we learned last week was that if the, when the storm comes, whenever the house is all built on sand, the storm is going to come, it's going to blow that house away. 
that as Christians, we think, well, worldliness is not a big deal. It's not, it just a little bit's fine. But we don't see that whenever the storm inevitably does come, if our foundation isn't set upon the rock, it's going to blow us over. Whatever we were like, like uh, holding on to, whatever we were depending on is not going not gonna to hold. It's not going to be strong enough. And the hardest thing in the, or the hardest thing about the Christian life is finding what is earthly in us and putting it to death. There's, so, there's, a, there's a reason why sin is so enticing. There's a reason why we've yet to solve this problem, because we want to sin. We desire the things that are earthly in us. Now, the reality is that as we read this text tonight, it's not going to be, uh, or we're, we're going to see a bunch of different things, and not all of them are going to apply to you. That's sort of the weirdness about earthliness, is that some of us will read some of the things in tonight's text and be like, I'm good on this. Like, I'm not, I don't struggle with this. But we all struggle with different stuff. So Paul's only going to talk about a few things tonight. But the reality is that every single person in this room has something earthly in them that they struggle with, that they walk through, that they don't know how to deal with. We all struggle with different stuff, and we all have an easier time putting off certain things. But the other reality is that getting 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 isn't enough for us. When I say that, I don't mean that it's not good enough in the eyes of the Lord. That's going to be an important distinguishment that we make tonight, that, that we're not talking about earning favor in the eyes of God. But whenever I say that even 9 out of 10, killing 9 out of 10 earthly things in us isn't enough, it's because that one thing that's left will eat us alive. And like if you, that, that sounds kind of crazy, but I, I talk to, I, I've talked to a lot of Christians who don't deal with 7, 8, 9, 10 things that they show with. They, a lot of Christians I didn't know, Deal with one thing exclusively, just one big thing. They can't get rid of it. So whenever we, when we talk about worldliness, what I want you to take away from, from this whole series, this idea of divided allegiances, is that there sh- we cannot have any bit of the world in us, earthly things in us, picking us away from the Lord. And that even as a Christian, like we recognize that it's pretty much impossible. We're always going to be walking in earthliness, but that as long as we're living, Our mission and our goal should be to be putting that stuff away, putting it off of us because we're a new self. We're created as a new self. So as long as there's earthliness in us, we should be killing it. So that's the word that Paul is going to use tonight. Before we get into this, I want to look at just a few application points I want you to keep in your mind as we look at these examples of what Paul is going to call idolatry. The first is that sanctification. So when I say sanctification, I mean the process of becoming holy. That's what sanctification means, becoming more like the Lord. This process is not done with the weight of our own salvation on our back. What I mean is that whenever you're striving for righteousness, you're not doing it to earn what the Lord's favor. You're not doing, you're not doing it to make him say, okay, well, you, you're good enough to, for me to accept you. We do so already knowing that the Lord has purchased that sin. He's already paid for that sin. So whenever I say that 9 out of 10 isn't good enough, I don't mean that the Lord looks at us harshly because of that one single sin. Because if we, if we have a basic understanding of the gospel is that even the one out of ten person, even the person that has, like, has no sin taken care of, their sin, the way that the Lord views them as a Christian is the exact same as the, whatever, whatever the best Christian on the planet is. And that is completely clean. That whenever you become a Christian, every single sin that you have is taken away. You, the Lord doesn't see it anymore, doesn't recognize it anymore. So whenever we're covered by the Lord, whenever we're covered by his death and burial and resurrection, like it's for, it's for all time, like we're good. So we don't pursue sanctification and holiness. We don't pursue putting off these things because we think, okay, if I can just put it off, put these things off, the Lord will love me now. The Lord will accept me now. That's not why we do it. When I say that it isn't good enough, 
I mean that as resurrected beings, as Paul said last week, since we have been raised, we should seek to kill all sin and earthliness in us for two reasons. Because, or out of first gratitude for a loving father that had sacrificed himself for us, but also for our own good. The one lingering sin, that earthliness in us, it isn't just the Lord telling us to not have a good time, that it's damaging to us, that it is bad for us. I'm going to call out Heather right now because I heard you say something to your kids today. That was good. It's a good thing. But I, I, I don't remember which one was doing it, so I'm not going to name names. But they were kind of angry or mad or sad about something. And Heather kept saying, like, we're not, we're not doing this to harm you. <laughs> this isn't for your, like, this isn't for, so we want bad things to happen to you. We're doing this because we want good things to happen to you. So if we, understand, if we have that understanding about, about holiness, that the Lord's trying to get rid of these earthly things in us for our own benefit, it'll change how we view holiness. And secondly, what we, need to look, what we need to keep in mind as we study through this text is that sanctification, the process of becoming holy, is progressive. It's a process. So we're going to see Paul's tense in this process is sort of like back, back and forth between past tense and current tense. Where he's going to say that you have been made new, then he's also going to say, put these things away. It's always progressive. We're always moving away from earthly things, and we're never actually going to get to where we want to be. It's one of the hardest things about sin in the Christian life, is that we don't want to be enamored with it. We don't want to sin. We don't want to continue to fall to earthly things, but we do. And so we're left with this process that is progressive. We're continuously moving towards uh, spiritual uh, thoughts, continuously moving away from these earthly things. So with those two things in mind, we should consider what is earthly in us and how it is becoming idolatry. Because when, it, when something is earthly, it's inherently idolatrous. It means it's taking the place of the Lord in our lives. It's moving into where he belongs only. It's the whole point of this series. That we don't want that sort of divided nature in our souls. We don't want half of us to be this new self and half to be the old self. The reality is that we're we have to pick one, one side or the other. There's going to be something on this list, I'm going to guess. Maybe not. It's not actually that many things he talks about. So maybe there's nothing on here that you struggle with. But I'm going to guess that there is stuff on the list that Paul's about to, to uh, go through that you struggle to put away. Earthly, and if not, there's earthly things I know that every single one of us, including myself, there are things that we struggle to put away. It might be one thing, but even if it's just one thing, like I said earlier, that thing can destroy us. So let's start by reading in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful again to be together, to sing together, to fellowship together, to study your word together. Pray tonight as we look at earthliness, as we look at putting off the old self, that we would um, see in each, of a, in each individual person here that we have earthly things that are pulling for our allegiances. And I pray that every student in this room, every person in this room, would leave tonight attempting to put those things off. That even as they struggle to do so, that they would not 
sort of, they wouldn't, they wouldn't submit to those things, but they would constantly be killing those things in their lives, Lord. Pray they would be undistracted tonight. They would be focused for these next few minutes as we study your scripture. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right, so this first part, there we get two little lists in this text. So this first one, or the first thing we get to see in this part of verse 5, and I want, whenever he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And I want to, before we get into these two lists, I want to talk about, just note, how every single one of our messages in this series is going to start with a statement like we saw tonight. So the very first verse of chapter 3 is, if then you've been raised with Christ. So it's this the, the, what Paul is saying is whatever he talked about in chapter 2, right? He says, if then this is true of you. So if then you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. So it starts with this sort of like proposition. Like if you've done this, then you need to do this. Well, the same goes tonight. It says, put to death, therefore. There's, I, I forget who, made the, who showed it to me, but there's a video about a guy, a youth pastor who says, what's the therefore, therefore? I don't, has anyone ever seen that video? Am I the only one? No, it's this really cheesy video about this youth pastor saying, like, what's the therefore, therefore? Find what the therefore is there for. Well, whenever you see therefore in Scripture, it means that whatever is preceding it, right, this, it's sort of a response to that. So because we've been raised in Christ, we can fast forward to verse 5, we should put to death what is earthly in us. And then the same thing is going to happen in verse 12 next week when it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So he's saying, because you've been raised, put off earthliness and put on compassionate hearts. We see this sort of flow of the text. And the goal of the text tonight is to put to death the things of, the wor- of this world. Paul's presenting two distinct lists of things that need to be put away. But I find, what I find most interesting about this text is that there's a present tense and past tense to everything he's saying. Where he'll, he'll go back and forth between you have been raised, like you, you are or you've been made new. But then he'll also he'll come back and be like, well, you're still being made new. Like you're still needing to put to death these things, even though in verse, I think it's eight, he says, but now, no, sorry, verse seven, in these you once too walked, you too once walked. So that implies that they're not walking in them anymore, but at the same time going back, he's saying, well, we need to put these things away. So it's, it could be confusing if we have a bad understanding of how salvation works. If we have a bad understanding of how our, uh, our, des- our uh, pursuit of holiness works. So we're going to get to that in a minute. I don't want to get too far into that. But it should both encourage us and challenge us. We should be challenged to put off earthly things in us, not because our eternity is on the line, but because our eternity isn't actually on the line. Because Christ has secured it, it should motivate us to pursue uh, uh, godly things. So we should be challenged by that. And he begins with this list of earthly things in us, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So we're going to notice that four of these things are specifically in regard to sexual immorality. So we should take note of Paul's focus. He's not saying to merely get rid of it. He says to what? In verse 5, what's he say to do with it? Put to what? Put to death. He says to kill it. And that's something that's somewhat common in biblical terms. And people who interpret scripture, I think it's, oh man, I mean, I don't remember whose name is. I think it's John Owen that said, be killing sinners, it's going to be killing you. I've said that quote a million times, and I've said the right guy. I don't remember who it is. But this idea of putting it to death shows us that Paul is like dead serious about this. No pun intended. He is super serious about, about killing these sins in us. Now he's speaking of four different things here. So this sexual immorality is any sort of immoral sexual action. is impurity. Impurity is these thoughts, these filthy thoughts of lust, passion, 
which is this sort of emotion that will lead to this impurity. And the fourth being evil desires, which are, which are sensual desires that are specifically evil, like that are really bad and just negative. Paul's hammering home this sin. Now, what we should take away from this is the context of Colossians, because we're not studying through all of Colossians. But what we should see here is that whatever, for whatever reason, whatever this church is going through, they're struggling with this issue. They're struggling in some way with sexual immorality. And Paul is saying, you guys have to stop. You guys have to kill this, put this to death. And we see all the time how much culture has changed, but with texts like this, we can sort of see how they stay the same because this has always been a problem in culture. This, this issue has always been a problem. Obviously, this church is having a hard time with sexual immorality, and our culture is the exact same way. More than any time in history, we have access to awful, awful stuff. We have access to, to things that can lead us into this sexual impurity. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here diving into this subject because I have sort of a, what's the word, ethos? I don't know what the word is. I have a conviction that this isn't really a subject that I'm here to talk about. <laughs> like I can brush on it, but I think this is, a, this is not a subject that I'm supposed to just like dive into super deep. But there are a few things that I want to say about it anyway. First is that this sin of sexual immorality, kill it now, don't do it later. That's the one thing I'll say. Kill it now. Don't, don't mess with it now. That's the one, that's the one benefit of, I know that at, at your age, I was like just wanting to not be in like middle school or high school anymore. I wanted to be like done with being young. I wanted to move on with my life. Like that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like adult life is not bad. I like being an adult. It's fun. But, but at the same time, I sort of neglected the fact that I had so many issues that I didn't have to deal with as a young person that now I have to deal with. So for instance, bills. Bills really sting. Like, I didn't think about that whenever I was wanting to be an adult, how I have to like pay for stuff. And how like before, I remember as a kid, $100 was like this crazy amount of money to me. But now $100 is like, well, that's not a lot because I have to pay someone. I have to give it to somebody. So it doesn't really matter if I have this extra money. The same applies to sins like this. Take care of them now. Don't, don't entertain them at all. Because even whenever I, was young, whenever I was in high school, when I got a, an iPod where I could have secular music on it, like the first thing I did was like listen to Blink-182 like all day. And I was like, it's so rebellious. It's so rebellious. And like, I, I just thought it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. It's just, I mean, but it was me rebelling just to rebel. I'm telling you not to mess with this thing. This is a, this sin of sexual immorality is pervasive. You will save yourself a lot of future pain by getting rid of it now. Secondly, and this is, this is for if you have parents to do this, but respect and be thankful whenever your parents give you boundaries. Because that's something that I hear a lot that like, I know that, I know students don't like that. Not having, they don't like having boundaries. But, but pretty much anything dumb that I did in high school was because I didn't have boundaries. Like 100% of the time. Like even with the music, it's because I didn't have boundaries. Every single stupid thing I did was because my parents trusted me and didn't have boundaries. So at this point, I know you're like, okay, I wish my parents would lay off me. I wish they'd let me do what I want. Listen, if you, some, some of you in this room might not have parents that have those boundaries, and you, be, you might be thinking, I wish they did. I wish they would have cared about this stuff. But if you're someone who's blessed to have a parent that does, do not take that for granted. Like in 10, 15 years, you will be thanking them for it. Access is where this sort of sin begins. Whenever you give, when you get access to things that you shouldn't. Third, Create your own boundaries. So I know that it's like prudish to an extent. Whenever, whenever like old people, whenever people in the church are like don't, like they hit on PDA, like don't, don't, don't hug your girlfriend or your boyfriend. I get it. Like, I understand. I get the, I understand why people think that. But at the same time, no, Christ, no Christian kid has ever jumped like just 
into the pool of sexual sin just like, just like dove in. It never happens like that. It never happens like that. It's always like, well, this line's blurry. I need as close this line as possible. Well, okay, I'm over that line. What's the next line? What's the next one? It's always how it happens. Lastly, this is, this is the one that applies to every, not that nev- the other ones didn't apply to everybody, but this one applies to everyone regardless if you're dating someone, if you're not dating someone. Stay away from things that incite the passions that Paul talks about. So, for instance, cannot say this strongly enough, don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't care. I don't care how like, good the storyline is. Don't watch it. That's the hardest thing. That what we're talking about with, as I'm going to dive into the like, core of this worldliness issue, so much of the worldliness and the earthliness that we allow into our lives are because we say, well, I'm not, I'm not watching because of this awful stuff. I like the story, right? Like the, my excuse, I always talk about music. Music's my biggest one. My biggest excuse for listening to, good, to, to music I shouldn't is because like, well, they have really good lyrics. Like they write such good lyrics. I know most people are like, it's a really good beat. I love lyricism. I love, I love good lyrics, so I'm like, I'll listen to it. It's such a good lyric. It's an excuse, but it's still terrible stuff. It's still earthly stuff. So don't let that stuff in. Be extremely careful with how you use social media. Do not allow these sort of subtle bits of these earthly things in our culture to, to sneak into your life because the culture is dramatically changing what these issues look like. Culture is dramatically changing how we think about uh, sexual ethics, how we think about even stuff like anger and wrath and malice and slander. Culture changes these things, which Paul moves on to speaking lastly about covetousness, which honestly could, poss- could probably be a little bit associated with this last section. Because I think that I've, there's probably a few people in this room, if not people in the, who have in the past been covet- covetous, covetous, is that right? Coveting of a friend that's like gets to have a boyfriend or girlfriend like I wish I had a boyfriend or girlfriend right like this it's not uncommon like so maybe this these are related but it's a little bit different I quoted Tim Keller last week and he said that if we replace an idol with anything other than Jesus another idol is going to take his place so so whenever we talk about coveting Arkin Hughes in, in this commentary I was reading he says this he says often when sensuality loses its hold materialism takes its place he says, in my opinion, that's why many middle-aged men who were once de- devoted to sensuality are now equally given to money. So the point of that being that if you, if you like, take care of this, so we, he just spent, four, he gave four examples of sexual sin. So if you get away from that, what, what Arkin Hughes is saying is, well, if you, if you kill that sin, there's another one coming up. There's another one that's going to sneak in, and covetousness is one of those things, to covet something, to want what someone else has. I talked about going to Chicago last week. That was all I think I experienced in Chicago was covetousness, where we'd walk around these like Gucci stores, like Versace, all these stores, and all I could see in everybody's faces was like, oh my gosh, if I only had enough money to buy this stuff, I could, I, man, how awesome my life would be. That's coveting. That's desiring something that we don't have that somebody else has. So the application, that whenever you get rid of, or if, if you kill a sin, be on the lookout for the next one because they're coming. Like, we should never let our guard down on these things. It's serious business. Serious business. That's why Paul says that there's a wrath that's coming. He says these things incur wrath. So as a, as a Christian, like, we don't, have to, we don't have to face that wrath. But at the same time, we don't have to face, like, eternal wrath. But you'll face consequences of sin, though. So if we think of wrath as, like, just eternal, it's like, okay, well... I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to face that eternal wrath. That's fantastic. But you'll save yourself a ton of future pain by not engaging in these sort of earthly things. 
Because even though the Lord is gracious, God is a gracious God, he will let us fall into our sin. He will let us do what we want. Say, okay, you don't want me? Fine, pursue that thing. But then like I, like I like to say, we think that whenever we sort of run off the path of God, we get to like banana route back. We get to go far away and then kind of just slowly come back. We got to come back to the start. I've seen, I've witnessed in like my own family, people that have spent like 10, 15 years of waywardness to try to figure out like 30, 35 years old. Like, well, I, I should probably figure this stuff out. And they got to go all the way back to the beginning. My, I think my biggest message in youth ministry is that you guys don't have to do that. Like, you guys have a choice to make that you don't have to go through that. You don't have to be like 10, 15 years down the road trying to re- pick up the pieces, rebuild your life. You can devote yourself to the Lord right now. We're supposed to be putting off worldliness at any cost, at any cost. So it says, Paul says that we all once walked in these things. And like I said, there's a difference between walking in a sin even, or of walking in a sin and struggling with a sin. So I think that's the biggest difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that as a Christian, even if you deal with habitual sin, there's this level of pain and grief that comes with it. Like every single time you, you walk in that earthiness, you're like, dang it, I wish I hadn't done that. There's a difference between walking in and as, as resurrected Christians being made new, we, we shouldn't, it's a weird balance of like, we shouldn't put shame on ourselves. You shouldn't put this unneeded weight upon our shoulders, but at the same time, should not let these things seep into our life and just say, well, the grace of God's going to save me. Because, like, that's true. The grace of God will save you. But, like, the consequences you'll have to face from sin, from worldliness, that stuff, you're going to have to deal with yourself. Like, the Lord will be there to help you through it, but you're still going to have to deal with it. This isn't just with, with, sort of se- with sexual sin either. Look at these other sins that you've listed in verse 8. I like this second list, not because it's, like, more important, but because I think it goes after sins that aren't, that we're kind of quick to ignore. It speaks of worldliness that we are slower to take off, that we're more accepting of. So something like sexual sin is very obvious. Like, that's a severe thing. Like, it's a big deal. Like, we know we're not supposed to do it. Every, if you grow up in a Christian atmosphere, you grow up in a church, like, you know you're not supposed to mess with that. But, but whenever we talk about, like, like, the way that we speak to each other, whenever we think about, like, our temper with anger, we're less likely to say, well, that's, that's worldliness. We've got to kill that. We're more likely to just make excuses for it. It's like it's not a huge deal. Here, Paul addresses these things. First, he addresses anger and wrath and malice. So I'm a very competitive person. Very competitive person. For some reason, like, I'm way more okay with the anger that like, I show on like, a slow-pitched softball field than with any other sin. Like, that's just kind of like, acceptable. Or, like, I'll, I'll literally one game I like, stormed away. I left the field because, in my defense, I did make the last out and was super angry at myself. I wasn't angry at anybody else. I was angry at myself. But even then, I, like, stormed away. I, like, walked out, didn't talk to anybody. And after the game, I was sitting there thinking, like, that was the most childish thing ever. It's a softball game. It's a slippery softball game. It's a rec league. No one cares if we won this game. But, like, for me, it's like, oh, Billy does. Billy cared. I know Billy cared. I know Billy cared because we were on the same team. But the point is that I, I'm more accepting of that sin Mostly because, and maybe in my mind, I see it as like this second-tier worldliness. I could do worse things. But the roots of anger that come from like even just a slow-pitch softball game are far deeper than that slow-pitch softball game. So Hughes, he says that this anger here is a growing inner anger. He says like, a, like sap in a tree on a hot day that swells the trunk and branches until they're in danger of bursting. So what he's saying is this anger, this malice, is anger that's building up in a person. It's building up. It could blow up at any given moment. 
or I think that this is different. I think that, I think that um, things like sexual sin can occur because of anger, but at the same time, I think the little things sort of prodded us, like bitterness, resentment, those are the things that sort of make this bubble burst, right? That, that build this anger in us. And just like sexual sin, this is a pervasive sin. It's a blinding sin. It's one of the craziest things. What is it? It's roid rage. Is that the term? Whenever you're like really like jacked up on like steroids and like you get like super, I guess if you get like super mad or something. And like you're like literally like blinded. Like you're out of control, angry, like can't be stopped. Now there's, there's a righteous anger. There, there are good things that we should be angry about. But I think that in my estimation, that is too often used as an excuse for people who are short-tempered and just want an excuse for being short-tempered. Every once in a while, there's a, good, there's a good reason to be angry. But in most cases, in most cases, anger is categorically opposed to the things we're going to hear about next week, like kindness, humility, patience. And again, whenever I said at the beginning that some of these things might not apply to you, like you might not feel like all these things, some of these things apply to you, anger is one that would probably apply to everybody because I'm not just talking about like temper. Okay, like some people have a temper, I get it. Like some people might hear angry, be like, that's, exa- that's definitely me. But on the other side of it, like I said, like resentment, stuff like that builds anger. So like bad relationships or relationships and in poorly, that can create resentment that even though anger might look differently for you, it might not look like you like being like in a rage, like a roid rage. It might not look like that for you, but it's still anger. It's still pervasive, and it's distracting you. It's keeping your eyes on earthly things rather than on the Lord's grace. And this sort of stuff is what leads to this second set of sins where he says, where he talks about slander and obscene talk. Like anger, pretty openly leads to obscene talk. <laughs> like very, I mean, I guess I've been around people that like curse all the time, just even whenever it's like they're having a good time. Like I get it, I've seen that. But in, the most, ca- in most cases, especially in this context, you're not going to see someone curse unless they're angry. Anger is what leads to, to people saying things they will seriously regret. There's a, in these second set of sins, unlike the, the sins of, or the sexual sins you just talked about, in this second set, we see this natural flow of these sins that starts with this internal anger, and it ends with harming other people, with slander, with lying. And it should cause us to almost look at why Paul is even writing this, that we're going to get, I'm going to skip, this is what I'm, I was going to talk about at the very end, I'm still going to talk about it. But the whole point of this text of these things that we should be putting off is not just that we should put them off because it's good and godly for us to do it, because it will make us more joyful, which it will. Like living a life of without anger, without resentment will make you way happier. Like, trust me, it will. But the biggest point of this text is that as we put those things off, we will love other people better because of it. We will put people before us. So this anger this, this, that leads to, this, to slander, to, to lying, it isn't just about like this internal fight where we think, well, it's okay if I'm angry inside because it's just me. <laughs> no one sees it. No one cares about it. The point is that as, as Hughes was saying, it's like a sap that's like just growing and growing, like getting ready to burst. At some point, it will hurt someone. At some point, it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, someone else to fall. We can speak 
we can, we can slander without being angry as well. We can speak obscenely without being angry. And I kind of went on a side note, but I want to bring this back a little bit. This has been a really big thing for me lately because I'm kind of like, like right now on this freak show journey of like, okay, we need to stop allowing any earthly things into life. Like I'm kind of on that right now, which is a good thing. But I've, I've been on this recently of like, why are we comfortable making like the jokes that we make? talking the way that we talk with just casually with our friends like I've noticed even in my own life that the way that I talk to like my my like friends like that are not like in this context is different the way I talk to friends that are in this context like the the way that I talk to like Pastor Michael is going to look different the way I talk to some of my other friends like I'm trying to figure out why we allow that like why even like I think unwholesome jokes is what just keeps coming to mind why we're okay with that sort of like talk coming out of our mouths that's even if it's not like we think it's not the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, everything we say should be edifying to people, should be growing people, should be encouraging to people. We're not as committed to removing like every ounce of worldliness from us as we should be. Because if we're saying like, well, I'm not addicted to drugs, right? Then I'm okay. Like I'm doing fine. But our speech matters. Like, the way that we talk matters. There's a reason that, that in James, he spends so much time talking about the way that we talk to each other. Or a reason why after talking about sexual sin, which we see as, like, such a severe sin, why he would immediately talk about the way that we speak with each other. Your speech should glorify God. It should build up the people around you. And we shouldn't just, because it's not this severe sin, because it's, like, not drugs, because it's not alcohol, because it's not whatever that sin might be, that it's not as big of a deal. But Paul brings it up here for a reason. He's talking about it for a reason. It's the exact reason why we shouldn't lie to each other. Like I said, this list has a flow to it that if we start with that inner strife, it leads to, to something that will hurt other people. And there's, I don't know if there's anything that hurts people more than dishonesty with people. Because at least, like, if you're honest with somebody, even if it's mean, at least you're honest. Like, at least, and that's not to say you should be mean to people, if you're being honest. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that I'd rather have someone be mean to me, like, honestly, and just say whatever's on their mind, than to deceive me than to, think, to make me think something that's not true and then to have me find out later and have to deal with whatever feelings I had developed or whatever, whatever um, problems had been developed because of that later. I'd rather than just come out and say it, be honest, be a jerk to me to my face. Like, I'd rather that be the case. Again, I, feel, I felt like this last week, I felt like this was kind of like, I was kind of like beating you up. And to an extent it is, like this, when we talk about worldliness, it really is about like, hey, we're, we need to get rid of every earthly thing in us. So I don't, but at the same time, we have to see that this isn't just some like Christian like list that we make. That we're, that as, as someone who comes to youth group, you're supposed to not do these things. You're supposed to, to speak highly of other people. You're supposed to avoid sexual sin just because like there's this like magic checkbox you're supposed to like fill out and like everything's good if you do that. That's not the point. And you might like, we might think like I have so much I need to fix and the spoiler is that you do. Like every person in this room has a lot to fix and will until the day that they die. Like no, no one, even the most righteous people, no one dies with this sort of like halo on their head of like, I did it, got there. That's not, that's not what happens. When we die, we go into eternity. We are, we are brought into eternity as, as dirty rags, but brought into eternity because of Christ. Regardless, whoops, regardless of what, you're, what, we, what we were doing on this earth. So we should see is like every single person here has that. Every single person here has 
earthliness they need to get rid of. So the point is, thinking back to those application points from the beginning, sanctification is this process. It isn't done with the, with the weight of our own salvation on our shoulders. And which Paul shows us at the end of verse 9 and 10 when he says, In the past tense, he says, Do not lie to each other, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. That we can, we can pursue holiness with the, with the assurance that Christ has saved us. That every single time that we sin, every time we fall to worldliness or, or think about earthly things, it should like hurt us, but that we can, we can lean back into the grace of the Lord. That whenever we sin, we shouldn't be inclined to say, well, I shouldn't go to the Lord right now. I'm not ready yet. I'm not in a good place to present myself to him. But it's at precisely that moment that we should be presenting ourselves to him. It's because the, the Lord did the heavy lifting. He continues to do the heavy lifting. That we're being renewed, as Paul says in verse 10, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's the awesome thing about being a Christian. Is that every single day that we pursue this, even like if we take the smallest steps forward every single day, we're being renewed in the image of our creator every single day. Even as we take steps backward, we're being renewed in, our, in the image of our creator every single day. Tim Keller had another awesome tweet yesterday. He's been on a roll, I guess. He said that your future self will always see your present self as unwise and immature. That means that by your own standards, you are currently a fool right now. I was like, yeah, that's right. I think I'm like so smart right now, but I'm not. Like in 10 years, 15 years, I'll think I'm an idiot right now. That we should see that, or we should see the kicker of that is that we're all like that. <laughs> no, one's, no, one's ex- no one's excused from that. We'll all look back at our younger selves and be like, man, I really didn't know as much as I thought that I knew. But in comparison to where we want to go, right? Comparison of where we want to be, the good news for us is that our Creator is taking us there. He wants to bring us. That's why, or while that seems like discouraging to think, it's actually freeing to understand that we are, in a sense, fools. <laughs> Look at verse 11. He says, here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Putting off the old self, for the new self doesn't remove enjoyment of life or satisfaction of life, as many assume it. It brings freedom. We think that it it's like enslaves us, but it brings freedom. Paul says that he is all and in all. The disconnect that we have in living one foot in the world and one foot out is that we're unable to see the benefit for us whenever we plan ourselves in God's will. Like I said, like we looked at with Paul based on every single thing, that he, every educated guess that he could have made about his situation, things were not going well for Paul. <laughs> and it made way more sense for him to, to, to go chase after whatever safety he could find elsewhere. But he stayed within the Lord's will. He was committed to what the Lord had for him. And it turned out to be better for him than what he wanted to do. So we have to, to, do the, to, to get rid of this sort of like this, this split allegiance. We have to recognize and wrestle with in our own hearts with the fact that everything the Lord does gives us and presents to us is for our betterment, for our benefit, that he isn't doing stuff to like make your life miserable. He's trying to make it better. Nobody, we know this, like we know that sin doesn't satisfy us. Like no one feels better after a fit of anger. No one feels better about it, except for like Eminem or something that like writes a song about it. But like no one else does. No one else feels good whenever they, whenever they are, like, lying to somebody. Like, maybe, maybe they feel good, but, I mean, I don't know. Do people feel good when they lie to people? <laughs> the only time I do is whenever we play, like, Mafia or something. 
and like I fool someone into thinking that I'm a good guy and I'm not. Like then I feel pretty good about it, but that's a game, so I don't think that counts. The new self tears down every single barrier that was and is created by our old self. And the only way to find that freedom is to put to death these earthly things in us that have a grip on our hearts. I think that many of us, if not all of us, desire freedom from these sort of worldly vices. We desire freedom from our sin, but whenever we ask how to do that, our answer is often like these sort of tips and tricks, right? Like 10, 10 steps to avoid like sexual sin. I literally saw a video ad on YouTube about this. Or it was, it was a very, it was, it was about, I don't remember what it was actually. It was a bad story. Um, but it was, it was essentially this guy, he was talking, no, he was talking about pornography, I think. He was like, here, you, you try to read your Bible, you try to do these things, well, here's actually how you need to do it. And I'm like, okay, this is probably a good help, but that if, my, if your heart's going to change on these issues, like, you need more than just, like, a step-by-step guide and, like, tips and tricks. Verse 10 is the, sort of the answer when it says that we're being renewed in the knowledge of our Creator, that as a Christian, as we fight sin, as we fight earthliness, like, you should fight hard to, to run from those things, but that without the Holy Spirit, without the Lord transforming you, without Him renewing you, none of it's going to matter. It's not, you're never going to get to where you need to go. Sanctification, when I said it's progressive, it's also dependent not just on sin removal, but like I said with that Keller tweet, it's about sin replacing. That if you remove sin, if you remove an idol and just put nothing in its place, something else is going to take its place. Nothing has to be Christ. It ha- he has to be what steps into that, to that season. What, and what's funny about that is that doesn't only include sinful things and earthly things. There will be desires that you have, pains that you walk through, struggles that you walk through that don't make sense in the moment. And that you will either look to other things to fulfill those, those pains, or you will turn to the Lord instead. And in turning to other things, like you will wrestle and wrestle and wrestle trying to find the joy, contentment, whatever you're looking for in that moment, it's not going to be there. Andrew Murray, he says, that because believers do not know their relationship to God, as absolute poverty and helplessness, they have no sense of the need of absolute and unceasing dependence on God. In other words, that until we see that we're completely hopeless and helpless without the Lord, and not just in like, a, like okay, I need God, I know, I'm going to get saved, I get it. Not, not just in that way. Like in our daily lives as Christians, after we've already been given this new self, if we don't have this mentality that like I need him more than anything else today, then pretty much everything that I say up here, everything I've said tonight is pretty much meaningless. Like, it's not going to help you. That's the, only way, that's the only path, not just for like everyone in this room, but for every single person on this planet. The only path to true joy is through Christ. So as we close, we have to look to remove these idols. We have to repl- not just remove them, but replace them with Christ, which is a hard task to do because for, for starters, we like those idols, <laughs> Like, they wouldn't be idols if we didn't like them, if we didn't enjoy them. There's a reason that certain things aren't idolatrous. So, for instance, it's not, this is, I'm not trying to, like, toot my own horn here at all. But I've never been someone that's, like, been drawn to money. Like, it's never been a thing of mine. Like, I've never had a desire. Like, even on, like, te- like career tests in high school. Like, every career test I took, money was, like, at the bottom of the list. I just didn't care. Like, if I have enough money to live, like, I'm fine. Like, right now, I have no problems in life. Like I can make however much money I make right now and be totally fine, content, living in an apartment. I would, I would have no care. It's just never been a problem for me. 
Now, the reason that that's not an idolatry in my life is because I don't desire money as much as some other people do. But there's other things that are idolatrous in my life because I want those things. In high school, it was baseball. All I cared about. Literally all I cared about. When, uh, uh, my only desire going into college was to play baseball, which was a terrible, 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 terrible way to pick a school because it came down to SB and Evangel, very expensive schools that played very, very low levels of college baseball. And I was like, I want to play college baseball, though. It's a really bad way to make decisions in life, but that's all I cared about. That's all I wanted in life. The new self that we've been given in the past tense is still working in the present. Like we're, we've, we've been given this new self by the Lord, but we're still progressively trying to grow more and more holy. And as this, this leads to barriers being broken, as we see in verse 11, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. That's sort of the ultimate measurement of faith. There are certain good things that will come to us whenever we put our full faith in Jesus, but to be completely devoted to the Lord, to be living your life for the Lord the way that you should, it will be reflected in how you love people. It will always be reflected in how you love people, how you, how you selflessly commit to other people, how you place yourself lower than other people. Paul's main intention isn't personal joy. It's the love of other people. That's what's, we could look at this text and be like, okay, well, Paul is beating us up for sin. It's like, okay, yeah, that's true, but that's not the point. Or it's, well, these things aren't as, not as good. Like if I choose to not sin, if I choose spiritual things, my life will be better. And it's like, yeah, that is true, but that's not the point. The point, the biggest point is that whenever we put off worldly things, we will be better to the people around us. We will selflessly love other people. To have undivided allegiance to Christ is to love others greater than ourselves. To be for the good of our friends, for our families, for our coworkers, before our own good. That's what's wild about sanctification and idol killing. It's not some magic portion, potion or formula. It's just whenever you put off these worldly things, these earthly things, your desires, your heart will change. You won't need like a seven-step process of like, well, on step six, I should start to see these things change. As you pursue the Lord, as you love the Lord, as your affections for the Lord grow, not only will your personal like, contentment and joy increase, but the way that you love other people will increase. And that's the measurement of being a Christian. So application tonight is twofold, as Jason comes up, and if you would stand with me. The application is twofold. First, to put off the world and to love other people. Love others. Both are going to provide internal peace and joy and satisfaction. So tonight, we have to ask ourselves, what are we keeping on that we need to put off? Now, I, in my time as a youth director, one of my biggest goals has been to avoid being a cringy youth pastor type. Like, I've just been, that's just kind of like who I am. I'm sort of like a, oh my gosh, let me say it. I'm, uh, you guys know what the Enneagram is? I'm not a huge fan of the Enneagram, but there's this Enneagram type that makes, it's just like, who des describes who I am. I do everything like out of principle. So I just don't want to be a tacky youth guy just because like I don't want to be that guy. That's the only reason. So I do everything in opposition to that. But I'm going to do something super tacky or something that, that, um, that you, it's, you seem to hear from youth pastors a lot. But the, the biggest point tonight is that you should be taking these sort of worldly things, like if it's TV, if it's video games, if it's music, whatever it is, you need to get, get it the heck away from you and be serious about it. So when I say it's tacky, I mean that every single youth group that I was in, like it felt like every single sermon was, don't do this, don't watch this, don't listen to this. That's why I have this running joke about the only music I listen to is Toby Mac. 
It's just this running joke that I have because of that. But at the same time, like, while there is tackiness to it, it's also this part of it, the putting off worldliness, is biblical. And it's part that, as a church culture, we're sort of, like, lacking. We're going to say, like, it's, you know, it's, we can accept a little bit of earthliness, just a little bit. We need to take it all, get all of it away from us. So what I'm asking you tonight as we worship is to, to internalize and to consider what things you need to put off and why you're unable to put them off. And I'd encourage you to do is one, for whatever reason that you can't put that thing off, vocalize it to someone. Go to your friends about it. That's the one, that's the one thing that's going to keep you from sinning. One thing that's going to keep you away from worldliness is if there's accountability. There's, no, there's nothing worse than, having, than going to someone and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Will you please keep up with me? And then three days later, having to go back to that same person like, yeah, uh, yeah I screwed up. <laughs> I did it again. Right? There's something about accountability, having someone pushing you. You want people pushing you. So talk to people, to go to people. And as we, as we worship, just a few more things. First, that idols are precisely the thing that is keeping you from joy and contentment. It's like verse 22. It's what we think we're going to find our joy in, but it's actually what's keeping us from it. And secondly, these idols are what are preventing you from loving the people around you. That for instance, even what I just said about going to other people about these things, what keeps you from being able to be vulnerable with friends around you is because you don't want to go to them with these things. You don't want them to know these things. Idolatry is what makes us self-centered people, and then in turn makes us unable to love the people around us the way that we're supposed to love each other. So as we worship, I'm going to ask you to kill these things. I'm going to open these altars. If you need to pray, come and pray. If you need to pray with someone, grab someone. But do, even if you don't pray tonight, if you take one thing away from tonight, do spend a few minutes in self-reflection and figure out what these things are, what these things you need to put away. Because like I said last week, we know what they are. The reality is that whenever I talk about this stuff, whenever someone brings this up, every one of us knows the sins and earthiness that we struggle with. So I'd ask you to reflect and find out what those things are, be honest with yourself, and then try to understand why you're unable to put them off and what's keeping you from doing it. Let's worship.